Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, professors of theater education, and teaching artists that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. So grab your coffee or glass of wine, plug in your headphones, or turn up your car stereo, and relax. Thanks for joining me for these heartwarming conversations and practical advice from other theater teachers on the front lines making a difference in their students' lives each and every day. I am very excited to welcome to the podcast for this episode, Brian Stanton of San Antonio, Texas. He teaches at Alamo Heights High School and has just presented for AATE and has really cool things that we're going to talk about here in just a little bit. So welcome to the show, Brian. I'm excited to talk with you. Uh, Go ahead and introduce yourself and just kind of give us your kind of your story. Thank you. Um, Yes, I'm Brian Stanton. I have a unique path to teaching, which I actually love because it's also a unique path to theater. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in opera performance, uh, which is so exciting. Um, But after getting out into the real world and participating in the professional opera world, I was like, this is not for me. Um, And I found myself working backstage for theme parks, doing uh, theme park entertainments where I was a music director or choreographer or director, kind of doing 20 minute shows for the theme park industry. And I fell in love with that. Um, and at one point or another, I started doing contract negotiations for America's Got Talent or uh, American Idol to have their people come perform at um, the theme parks I was working for. So I started studying law because I was working a lot in contracts. Um, and then I moved from California, where there's a plethora of theme parks, to Texas. And I chose San Antonio because also there are theme parks here. Um, and started my my adventure here in San Antonio as a as a theme park event production manager, which is super fun. Um, but all throughout my life, I've always known I wanted to be a teacher. Um, during all this time, I was working in theme parks. I was teaching private music lessons. I ran a nonprofit organization called Actors Alliance of San Diego, which was all about helping actors uh, pursue their career locally. You don't have to move to New York. You don't have to move to LA. You can have a career in acting in San Diego. Um, And that included a lot of like youth programs where I was doing teaching and I loved it. So when I moved to Texas, I found out about alternative teaching certification um, where basically you can take some courses in uh, pedagogy. And then once you pass all of your courses uh, and your content area exam, then you are a certified teacher. And I got certified in social studies because I love history. And then I went to my first job interview and the first principal looked at my resume and said, why not theater? And I looked at him and said, theater, you're so funny. Like theater is always the thing that people keep telling me is not going to get me the job. Um, But I went out and I took the theater test um, and that same principal hired me three months later um, to be the director here at Alabama Heights High School. And I've been here since. So it's a unique path with a lot of different backgrounds, which is fun for me because then I introduced that to my students. For instance, my first year here, we did immersive theater experiences where I turned my entire black box into two haunted escape rooms. And my students had to create an actual atmosphere of entertainment as opposed to just putting something on a stage where the audience is in one area and the performers are in another. So they came up with a storyline, they came up with all the clues, we went and visited a local escape room and they got to see the behind the the scenes tour. Um, And then we had a very successful weekend of people getting scared, but also like accomplishing the goal. They were able to get the escape room done, which was the goal, but it took almost their entire 30 minutes, which is the real goal. You don't want it to be too easy. Um, so all of this, I guess, weird experience I have in theater doing theme park entertainment has come to my classroom and it's been a lot of fun. Um, yeah. What is that? Um, while I was in San Diego, I also volunteered a lot with the Boy Scouts of America. Um, And I got really involved in training there. And I think that's what ultimately pushed my drive to get my teaching credential when I moved because of the fact that 
I really loved working with the kids. And so I did a lot of work with training students or training leaders and and Boy Scouts, and I loved it. Um, And when I came to teach the high school, I kind of took that Boy Scout mentality of that it's scout led, it's, it's, it's student led into my program. And so now my program is very much student led where I feel like I act like an executive or artistic director of our program. And I have subcommittees that handle marketing and um, all of my students have a role in show selection. And um, we've got a philanthropy committee that specifically focuses on how we do outreach to the community. Um, We also have a team building committee, but we want to be fancy. So we call it Esprit de Corps. Um, and they're all about just making sure that we've got the right vibe, whether it's in the room or in the, on the stage or just like out and about on the campus, their, their goal is to make sure that it feels like a family and not like that fake family that you see only in class. So that's been really interesting way of putting the learning into my students' hands because they're tasked not only with being an actor or a director or a technician, but also like how would you run a theater program out in the world if you had the opportunity? Um, so I think that's been really exciting because one, it's a learning opportunity. It's a leadership skill. Um, but two, it helps me a lot because I am a single teacher um, in a very heavily loaded high school. And so to be able to pass off a little bit of the work here and there and just be the person who approves something is ideal uh, in this environment. Um, and then they really take off with what they're doing. So with our philanthropy committee, they do a lot. Um, and we've actually been recognized nationally through an organization called character.org. Um, and the recognition comes from the fact that we found creative ways to be philanthropic, not only with performance, but with curriculum. So I'll give a couple of examples. It's really started with, My first year teaching, we did Puffs, um, a Harry Potter parody play. And I had previously worked with, as an actor, a community theater locally that always did some sort of drive. They would do like a a gift card drive or a book drive or um, a supply drive for local nonprofits. And I was like, okay, this is a brilliant idea. Let me see if I can adapt this to the teaching environment. So, we were researching Puffs and Puffs is about magic. And I was looking for any kind of nonprofit that would fit that theme. And in my research, I would use keywords like magic, wands, spells, um, just trying to find creative ways to tie into a nonprofit. And I found Wands for Wildlife, which is a program run out of the Appalachian Wildlife Refuge. And Wands for Wildlife allows you to send in clean mascara wands. So you take the mascara wands out of the mascara, you clean them with Dawn just soap. They send you instructions on how to do that. Then you send them in and they will use them to clean off animals that have been impacted by oil spills or that have debris on them from any kind of uh, uh, sludge from maybe fire and rain. Um, And so they use those mascara wands as a way of helping the animals. So we started collecting wands for wildlife because there were prevalent amount of wands in puffs. (laughs) Um, And so it was like a fun, creative way. And when I told my students, they like were rolling on the floor. They thought it was so funny, but at the same time, they're like, this is brilliant. Like the pun. Yes. Um, And then that expanded in the fall after that year, we performed Carrie the Musical, which is like hard for a high school. It's a very heavy piece. And there's a lot of things that people think tie directly into the the book or the really the movie Mm -hmm. is what most people remember. Um, And it's funny to me because Carrie is always pitted as the bad person. And one of the things I love about the musical adaptation is that they've talked a little bit about cyberbullying. They mention it in the stage notes that like they're out here videotaping um, on their phones or they're filming on their phones, uh, Carrie being bullied. So we partnered with a local organization um, called David's Legacy Foundation, and they were instrumental in passing a law here in Texas that focuses on 
consequences for cyberbullying and awareness and resources for students who are facing cyberbullying. Um, and their story actually started at my high school. And I think that's why it's impactful because there, there was a student here, David Molak, who was bullied. Um, and ultimately he left our school for another school. Um, but that didn't stop the bullying because with phones, you can bully anyone anywhere. Um, ultimately he ended up taking his life and um, his parents started this foundation as a way of remembering David, but also like bringing to light how, how what you say on a phone, what would you say anonymously behind a screen can be so impactful to a person. So when we did Carrie, we invited David's Legacy Foundation here and they not only came to see the show, but they helped me curate uh, talk back points. Um, we did pre-show talks where we provided, before you'd even seen the show, we provided you with the resources to, um, to be able to help a person who may be suffering from cyberbullying or, or find the resources for yourself. Um, their marketing team actually helped create our marketing for the show because we included um, merchandise that was exclusively sold with lines from the play, from the musical that tied directly into David's legacy message, which was uh, Sue has a line that says, what does it cost to be kind? So we branded that everywhere. What does it cost to be kind on t-shirts and all of these things and sold them online and all the proceeds from those um, sales went to David's Legacy Foundation as well as a little bit of the ticket sales. So it was really like when uh, Mrs. Molag, who is the head of the, the foundation, um, came to me after the show and she was in tears just because of how impactful it was. The story we told was a little bit different um, the iconic ending scene that everybody's like, ah, oh, this is when Carrie kills everybody. And they either get really excited or very angry about, um, turned into Carrie's own destruction. Like that last 15 minutes of the show is literally Carrie having a mental breakdown, um, to the point where she was staged to go into a ball and then kind of exploded. And that's when when everything started falling apart and she didn't, she didn't make eye contact with anybody. She didn't look at them like, I'm going to kill you. Uh, she just imploded. Yeah. And it wasn't until like her mom tried to kill her and she like defended herself. Did she actually directly try to kill somebody? And so it changed the story a little bit without changing the story at all. Um, because everyone still got what they deserved. Um, in the end, but you came out with a deeper appreciation of what Carrie had gone through as a person that like bullying is, is not good. And somebody is going to be pushed to a breaking point. And sometimes that breaking point is internalized and they break themselves. And sometimes we see things happening on campuses where people are bullied and it's externalized. They break on other people. And so it helped to get a message across about bullying in a way that wasn't like if you bully people, they're going to kill you, but more so like you need to watch how it impacts the emotions of people. That's so powerful what you can do and say. And we just kind of been running with that for years now, finding ways to, to connect to the community and not preach, but have some sort of message that we can help out with. So we've done things like Spelling Bee. When we did Spelling Bee, we collected books and donated them to a local children's book uh, um, nonprofit. We did a doll's house and my students donated um, feminine hygiene products to a local women's shelter because they felt that the message of the show was about empowering Nora to, to be on her own and like what she really needed was her independence. So these are tools that we could give to women in our own community to help them with their independence. Um, and then Curricularly, I found myself in my tech classes going, you know, we're learning these skills that can help the world. And when the wildfires were raging in Australia, we actually got on the bandwagon, as it were, of people who were sewing healing pouches for the animals impacted by the wildfires. And we sent them off to a nonprofit that sent them off to Australia. And so my students did the research on which nonprofit we're going to use, 
which pouch we were going to create, what was easy enough for me to teach to my students who were just learning sewing. And the goal was, this is technical theater one, we have to learn sewing and the basics of sewing, but you don't have to sew a complete costume. You can sew whatever, because the goal is to learn how to sew. So we took the pattern and we created over 70 of those pouches with students who had only been sewing for that project. And they were all sturdy and durable using different cloths that were needed for healing, uh, like soft cloths, but also cloths that could be cleaned or uh, rinsed off. And that was a really exciting experience for them. So when the next year came, I was like, great, we're learning to build walls. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to head out to Habitat for Humanity. Um, and so we helped with the final touches on some of their homes here in San Antonio with uh, some of it was cleaning because when you're going to give a home away, you should probably give it away clean. Um, so some of it was cleaning, some of it was finishing like trim and baseboards and stuff like that using nail guns, all things that we use in our tech shop. Um, but we got out then to the world and put it into action. So all of that kind of derives from my own sense of wanting to give back to the world, but also our, our district is very big on um, our students having an idea of their social and global impact. And so I kind of partnered my own vision with the school's vision of what they wanted out of a student at the end of their time with us and figured that the best way to do that is to honestly figure out how arts can impact the world. And it's so easy to do. Um, whether it's just looking at the theme of your play or looking at the skills that your students are learning, there is an easy way to give back to the community. Even if it were um, we are teaching how to rip fabric for a costuming unit, um, then we'd just tie those into little knots and give them to an animal shelter for dog toys or whatever the situation is. Like, There's so many easy things that you can do to give back to the community um, that not only help your students with their own intrinsic value in the world, but also it's kind of a plus for your program, right? The more people know that you're doing good things, um, the more recognition your program gets. So in 2019, we were asked to write this application for character.org um, and it's called a promising practice. It's a practice that your school's put in place that says we are going to do this thing and continue to do this thing that is going to positively impact the character of the students on campus. And I went into this whole diatribe about how character development means something else to an actor than it does when you're thinking about character education as a, like, a values quality trait, but the two things are very much aligned. And if we looked at how we analyze characters in a script and applied that to the world, real world, we would find we'd have more empathy for people. And I talked about all the projects that I just spoke about with you and we ended up getting that national recognition, which was super cool because it was the first of our kind for our school. There were other programs at the elementary schools that have been uh, recognized, but this was the first of its kind for our school. Um, and that was really exciting. And then another one of those promising practices was just actually the following year uh, is about peer tutoring, which centers on students with disabilities. And I am so privileged because I have a unified theater class in my school. I'm the only class in my school that is directly related and tied to a unified champion program from the Special Olympics. So Special Olympics has a designation that they give to schools that are promoting inclusivity for students with disabilities. And that is called a unified champion school. And our school was designated about seven years ago. Um, and in that inaugural year, a unified theater class was started under a different director. And I, that was like a huge selling point for why I chose this school, because my whole life has been peppered with moments where I have been working with people who are working with students with disabilities. One of my best friends TA'd in high school um, in the SPED class and then went on to like work with special ed uh, or special uh, adults with special needs um, who were in their early uh, 20s. So we would uh, go to the movies or go have social encounters and I would be able to hang out with her and uh, whoever she was advocating for at the moment. And it was always like 
one of my fondest memories. So when I came here and they said, you get to teach a whole class that is devoted to students with disabilities, I was like, okay, great, sign me up. Um, and it's been crazy because I didn't know what to expect from it. In our first year, I eased into it. We started with doing like uh, radio theater. We just sat everybody up. We had some sound effect machines. We had a thunder sheet and we did a radio show for Halloween. And then we did like a Christmas uh, 20 minute show. And then from there, we did a full one act play and the students, like every time I would level it up, they would step up to the plate to the point where now we're doing full one act plays consistently. Um, and it's been so interesting because each student comes with a different skill set. And so it takes a little bit of creativity to come up with how you're going to get everybody working on the same project and towards the same performance with different skill sets. Um, so for instance, I have some students who are uh, nonverbal, meaning they use like an iPad or something to communicate, or sometimes they can use grunts. A lot of times they're using gestures and sometimes sign language. Um, so there's so many different things going on right there. I've got gestures, I've got facial expressions and grunts, I've got an iPad or a communication device. So in order to make sure that the students could stay as actively involved as possible, I started thinking creatively about the resources we already have in theater that other teachers don't have. For instance, QLab and uh, GoButton. Um, so I downloaded GoButton onto 15 iPads that I have in my, my room and the peer tutors who are assigned to work with students with disabilities, their job is to help with um, amplifying what that student is capable of doing. So for instance, if they're nonverbal, then we're going to teach the student how to use go button and how to cue their lines and how to listen for someone um, who is cueing them and then to push the button to cue the line. And then I found that my Shure wireless adapters have a connector that connects to auxiliary. And so I'm able to connect the iPad directly into a wireless uh, adapter and then play it through my house system. So my students who are nonverbal can cue their own lines that have been recorded by their peer tutor and then be actively participating in the production, which has been really cool to see come to life. Their parents like flip out um, when they see them push a button and all of a sudden the speakers are, are doing the lines for them and it just helps it keep going. It's such an amazing experience. And that's just like one set of students, right? Um, that is so cool. It's so, it's so cool, right? Like it's just <laughs> using technology we already have and, and thinking about it differently. Like it doesn't have to just be, this is for sound effects and cueing music. It could be, this is for dialogue and we're cueing someone's dialogue. That is so cool. Yeah. Um, I have another student who it's funny because he, uh, when he was in middle school was like incredibly grumpy and violent. Um, and so I started progressively giving him more responsibility as we went on with our program. He's been in my program. He's a senior. So he started with me as a freshman. Uh, when I started at the school, this is now my fourth year. This is his senior year. Um, and in his first year, he got several he got one lead and like several supporting roles in the play lots of opportunity to talk he has trouble with um, memorizing and so his peer tutor was someone who would memorize the script and kind of whisper it in his ears and then he would project the line out so his first two years that was the situation this last year we did uh, a musical review in the class because a lot of the students really loved dancing. So we did a musical review in the class and he became a dance captain. And he learned all the choreography from videos that I had sent out um, because I was teaching in a hybrid method. So even in this class, I had some students who were in person with me in a black box and some students who were at home. And so I would make videos. So he watched the videos for one weekend. He would learn all the dances and then he came up and he would call out the things I was calling out on the video. Um, and as I gave him more responsibility, what we found is like his streaks of like being angry and violent have slowed to, he had one instance like that in his junior year 
and I'm hoping his senior year we can be free of instances, but that's, you know, that's the dream, right? Get to a place where we're teaching proper social skills and whatnot. And so he became a dance captain. He also had a lot of lines in the show and read his own lines and memorized them himself. And that just goes to show like, it doesn't matter the student, if you give them a challenge, they can rise up to the occasion as long as it's within their wheelhouse. So by leveling it up from, we're doing smaller types of plays to bigger types of plays. You've got somebody reading your lines to you. You've got somebody who's cueing your line for you. And once you remember, you start saying it yourself to now you're gonna read your own lines and memorize your own lines. It created a path for him to be able to be independent in this class, which has been really exciting to watch. Um, so that's all about foundations and leveling, right? It's about making sure that we are building upon what he's already done. And I've got other students who are uh, a combination of different things. I have some students who are in wheelchairs and, I, and that can be problematic because I read a really great article during the summer actually, um, as I started my master's in theater this summer at the University of Houston. And uh, one of my professors was sharing with me, a PhD student had previously written an article about how her wheelchair will never be the character's wheelchair. It will always be the actor's wheelchair. And so I try to think of creative ways to at least help with that situation. Cause she's right, like, unless you know the play really well and the audience generally doesn't, um, they haven't gone in studying the piece, um, there may, very well be pieces that include um, characters in wheelchairs, but unless you know the play really, really well, you're not gonna know that. Um, so it's always the actor's wheelchair and how do you get beyond that? And one of the things that I do to help with that is we turn those into part of the costumes. So there was a student who was Miss Marvel um, in the Miss Marvel play that just came out last year, two years ago. Um, and so we turn her, her wheelchair into, um, that's like her Miss Marvel mobile, though she didn't really have one. She's 16, she didn't know how to drive, but nobody needs to know that. Um, we turned it into like this, this superhero machine for her so that when she would go off to um, battle, then she has an alter ego who comes out. So she's sitting in her chair and then she projects off to another student who plays the superhero Miss Marvel. And so she comes out from behind this mobile that the student is sitting in, and then she gets to do the action and the fight scenes and all that stuff. And then the other student plays the character during the daytime, transitioning into the superhero at nighttime. Um, and it was just a unique way because technically those would have been one character uh, if we had done the show in its authentic manner, but we made them two. So that way we could see that transition of like, this is the person, I am on the inside. Um, I can do all these things. I'm transitioning to that. Like here I, you see me in my chair and then here you see me, I'm a superhero. I can do anything. I can defeat the world. And our poster was pretty impactful as well. It had a, a girl sitting, sitting in her wheelchair facing a, sil a shadow of a superhero. Um, oh, cool. Um, where her chair and her body create that shadow. And it like, it was just super exciting to see how everybody related to that um, because there are some, some messages we can send in theater without even having to focus too much on them. Even if it's just, I'm decorating this, this wheelchair, we've given this character, the student, an opportunity to not be themselves. And so they're not looking up there going, oh, that's clearly the student. Um, and so some of that, even in and of itself, those things we take for granted as, as actors where we get to get in a costume and become somebody else are incredibly impactful for students with disabilities because they don't get those opportunities as often as we do. Um, and then there's some things I do in that course uh, that help with technicians. There are a lot of things that we do in theater that realistically can just be done by the push of a button, right? So it's a matter of finding the right skill and, and assigning it to the right person. So I've had a student who 
um, didn't want to be an actor. He was put in my class, doesn't want to be an actor. Um, he's going into his third year this year and he's been a, a stage manager. And so I gave him his first year simple tasks. The simple task was you're going to sit in the back of the auditorium and your job is to tell me if you can hear everybody. And so his first task as an, as a stage manager was to listen for pronunciation and projection. And then he would give notes at the end of the rehearsal about students who needed to speak up. Uh, and we talked through like appropriate ways of giving notes and all that stuff. Moving on to the next year, he was responsible for coming up with the prop list for the, the films we were doing. We did film last year because of COVID. Um, and so he created the prop list for the film. He also worked on creating the shot list of the different shots we needed to take and would then check them off as we would film them. And so he's been leveling up in a way that we were taking the stage manager role and making it smaller and accessible. Um, and then as he's growing, he's getting more things added to him. So it's not just listening for enunciation and projection, it's also creating the prop list and it's also creating the shot list. And next year he will be probably an ASM, the ASM capacity of a real ASM job. Um, and his senior year might get the whole shebang, the full stage manager experience because he's had a lot of opportunity to level it up. And I have students who um, excel at, they love things that light up. And so um, I had students during a couple productions who were uh, assistant light board and audio board operators. So they would sit with their peer tutor. The peer tutor would learn how to use the boards the way they're supposed to be. And then they would say, you know, you need to push this button or this light, or you need to push this button when. And so they would guide them and the students would then hit the go button on the light board to set the light cue or bring a microphone up if they needed to bring a microphone up. So there's a lot of ways that at, because we have a peer tutor program where they're able to partner with somebody else, they can do the realistic skills that I'm teaching in a technical theater class but in a modified way. And it's been really incredible. And some of the things I do aren't even just for the students. I do super titles or subtitles for parents so that way they don't have to worry about whether or not they understood everything. They have a chance to read it if they don't. Um, it takes a little bit of the anxiety out of students who are still growing in their speech and projection um, so that they don't have to feel like they have to be perfect because I've got the words right here for them. And I make sure that they're aware of it, but we're constantly pushing for, can I hear you in the back of the auditorium clearly? Um, so it's been a wild adventure. It, it's weird because I think about the fact that I've been teaching realistically for three full school years and so many things have come from it. And it's been a, a really wild ride. Like this year I was uh, selected to be the district teacher of the year for my school district, which was really amazing. And it put me in a whole new realm of things. Um, like there's a lot of paperwork that comes with having to apply for region and state teacher of the year oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and it's a bummer because I did not make region or state teacher of the year, but it's fine because honestly, I don't know that I'd want that responsibility and run a theater <laughs> program because it's a lot. Um, but because of those things, other people started noticing me, um, which has been very strange. Like I've had a couple of conversations, including, uh, when I, um, submitted my information to AATE to present, um, I had a friend of mine who's like, Hey, I was talking with somebody I know from Houston and they said that they're on this board for some like theater thing and they saw your presentation about the philanthropy work that you do and they're like super excited about it. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and as part of grad school, I reached out to local theater companies cause I was like, you know, I have to do some dramaturgy research as part of grad school. I'd like to offer my services to you uh, for your small theater company. And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. I've heard really awesome things about you from XYZ person that I don't even know. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, great. That's wonderful. We'll be in touch. Um, and I just found out that I received the Texas Thespian Trailblazer Award for these two programs because I'm thinking of new things that can be done in a theatrical world that impact the industry on a whole. And for me, I feel like 
that was so impactful because I'm not going to lie, as a third-year teacher getting Teacher of the Year, I was like, I have imposter syndrome. But then getting an award from theater teachers about the work that I'm doing kind of helped me go, well, at least I know I'm on the right track. Like, what I'm doing is good and it's and it's helpful and it's new and different and um it helped me feel less of an imposter i suppose it's still there just a little bit <laughs> yeah your master's degree i'll feel like not an imposter <laughs> well i am equal parts exhausted and impressed um, <laughs> with with you and your work and i i think you absolutely a thousand percent get to celebrate the accomplishments that you've got because whereas it, it it sounds like and is a lot that you have accomplished in this short time what i am just as impressed with is how it's just part of the culture of your school now yep it's just this is what we do 100 percent. it's not this one-off oh we did this we've got this accolade cool no no this is just who we are and what we do here yeah and I'm very, I'm a huge stickler on that. I have a brand committee for our, for our organization. And I was, I'm very upfront when we start the school year. Okay, we've got new leaders in the brand committee. I need you to know that our, our message is philanthropy. And it's just a part of who we are. Our message is also that the unified class isn't just a one-off class for students with disabilities. This is a part of our program. And what's been so exciting is to see my students from my unified class are being inducted into our Thespians troop How cool. now. And, and there being student leaders who get to come up and you know help lead the activities that we're doing. They're on the committees now. It's not just like, when I got here, it was like, the vibe was my program was just theater production and that's it. So there were two classes of theater production, a, a theater arts class, a brand new technical theater class, and then um, unified theater. And it was like, these two classes are really your program. And I've finally gotten everybody on board with the idea that my program is everything that we do. And all of these people matter and are important. And we have varsity letters and my students with disabilities are getting those. Um, they even get a special little emblem for being a unified student because that's a part of the Special Olympics program. And it's just so exciting to see this idea that like culture can be built around kindness, especially when we're in such an environment where the quick response is to be judgmental. And so I really harp on that. And it's funny because like, I find myself with having moments and I'll be like, oh, that was a moment folks. That was not, that is not who we are. And I'm gonna address that in front of you. I'm going to show you what it's like to have to really think about the impact of what you said and, and see how it lands on people and go, oh, I am so sorry. I did not mean that to land that way. And I will be more considerate of my words. And to be able to have someone up in front of a classroom who's willing to do that, I think is so powerful because I don't remember that from when I was in school. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, uh, actually just the teacher I spoke with this morning. Uh, we, we had that exact same conversation about um, the, the power of an apology and the power of yeah. admitting that you're human and as the teacher being vulnerable enough to admit that and, commit to doing better and learning better going forward. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I really struggled with my first couple of years with this was this idea that I'm a teacher, not a person. Yeah. Um, and so that, that having a re human response or having a human response was like, what are you doing having this human response? You're a teacher. You're supposed to have the appropriate response always. <laughs> and so having those moments where I don't and I have to recover from them is a great reminder to students and parents that like, I'm just a person. It's also helpful that I constantly bring my children <laughs> and my husband around like we like to just like reiterate that like, I'm a person and these are my family and I have other people to take care of. And so my focus isn't 100% classroom all the time. But at the same time, when I have those moments of weakness, it's, it's important to 
or vulnerability or whatever you want to call it, it's important to address them. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I had instances with my students even last year, and I think it's especially hard because of COVID. Like we wanted to do so many things, but every time we tried to do something new, there was, you know, another turn of events. <laughs> um, and so it became frustrating because as the person who has to share that news with the students, you become the face of COVID, you know, <laughs> like you become the bad guy. And um, there was one instance where I went and talked with my assistant principal and I was like, look, I am having a hard time right now because my students are just like, I'm not feeling welcome in my space and that's not mm -hmm. how it should be. And so I explained the situation about, you know, turn of events and, and whatnot and how in my excitement for sharing a new artistic direction with them about a play we were doing, I neglected to recognize their hard work on what we were doing before. And I said, I, we came back from winter break and I was like, hey, I was talking with our other, our other teacher from the middle school. We came up with this really great idea for our one act and I'm so excited about it. And it's gonna look so cool and it's something that nobody's done. It's gonna be great. But I neglected to say, that doesn't negate the hard work that you've already done. We just weren't on the same level or I wasn't getting the, you know, the directors weren't getting what they needed out of that set design or whatever the situation was. And because I didn't do that, then there's this, this back backpedaling, right? And so having that moment where I went to my assistant principal and I was like, so the vibe is that, you know, they, they don't want me to have emotions. Like that's what, I'm not, I'm not allowed to have an emotional response to things about how they're treating me. But also I realized, I realized this because I was aware that I neglected to, to, um, to acknowledge their feelings about a shift in direction. Mm -hmm. And so it led to a really great conversation um, with my students that has led us on to an even better path going forward of like, what is the divide between student led and you know, director driven. And it came down to the understanding that like, ultimately I have the final say because I'm, I'm the paid person who's responsible for everything that you do. But you still have the opportunity to do input. You still have the opportunity for design. You still have the opportunity for things. But sometimes I might have to change the direction we're going to because of the need of everybody, the budget, whatever the situation might be. And so really focusing on on allowing those emotions to happen in real time but then also acknowledging them at a later point was really helpful for building that bridge and i think it's something that we are not trained to do mm -hmm. because a lot of times we're just trained to suppress our emotions and so we walk around with angry faces without realizing we have angry faces and which was what i was feeling right that's how i i was feeling this from my students because we're not training teenagers on how to express their emotions. So it was really like impactful to just sit in that moment and say, look, sometimes things are gonna be rocky, but we're gonna get through it. And everybody here is a valid human and that includes me. I would love to know, like, like everything you're sharing is so inspirational and, and it, it is very clear to me uh, from what I'm hearing from you, whether you realized it that early on or not, but that that teaching and and being a teacher was a, a a thread woven throughout everything you've done leading up to where you are now. That's funny. I think it is. Um, I go back, and you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So. Um... When I think back at everything I've done, I've always wanted to be a teacher. When I was in high school, I thought I was going to be a choir director. Um, and ironically, I had an opportunity recently to like uh, conduct a community choir. And I was like, no, uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I, fa I found my wheelhouse. Uh, but I wanted to be a choir director. And in California, the credential problem is a little different. And I just couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford the time. I couldn't afford to go to school full-time without being able to work or to go to school full-time and continue to work at night for like an additional three years. I just needed to be on my own two feet um, because I paid for school, 
you know, student loans, paid for school myself. I didn't have scholarships. I didn't have help from parents. Um, and so because of that, there's just a lot of pressure. So one of my first like desk jobs was working for a company that helped teachers find music students nationwide. Their goal was to provide music lessons. Um, and it started out with face-to-face -face lessons and then eventually went to virtual lessons as an option, um, especially for people who were in rural areas and whatnot. And so I spent all this time working with teachers on how to make their lessons impactful to keep their students around. And then when I went to SeaWorld, I did a lot of training work. I worked a lot on um, process improvement, which is really boring. Um, but it's basically like, how do we fix this process that we're doing to be more efficient and to provide the most value to the company? So it's funny because when I do things here on campus, I have like this process improvement uh, brain that assesses everything like this is not really efficient. We need to think of another way to do it. Um, and so I actually help out the front office a lot with like, this would be a much better way to use this form or whatever. Um, when someone rents the auditorium, I have a new form now where, where I get all the information I actually need and it's not just contact Mr. Stanton. Um, <laughs> so I did a lot of training and work with different departments and whatnot, but then, you know, as a director or a music director, for various shows, you're you're teaching people the music, and it's a part of it's part of the process. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that directors, music directors, whatnot, that like you're a teacher, whether or not you think you are, um, because even if you are directing a show, your job is to teach people your vision. Yep. And so, at some level, you're being a teacher. And so, I think. It's been there, it's always been there, and that's why it's so exciting to finally be here because I feel like it's where I was always supposed to be. Um, and everything that I've done up until now has kind of led me to this point in indirect ways. Yeah. And it has helped me with creating this environment that my, my students get to mold um, because I'm very blunt with my students. I'm like, this is my fourth year teaching, teaching. So like, we got mistakes. Mistakes are gonna happen. But guess what? You are a part of the process and you're a part of the, the problem solving committee. You're a part of the group. So you get to help with figuring out like, how do we minimize mistakes and how do we minimize these situations? And so it's it's been a wild ride getting here. And along the way, like adopting four children, uh, <laughs> there's just so much going on. Um, but it's like so comforting to feel like this is it. This is what I'm supposed to do. I finally found my career as opposed to like something I enjoy doing and just that. I think one of the things that I love about the the things that you have in place with your program, um, with the, the philanthropic theater and, and empowering your your students with disabilities is the whole, your whole program is seeing that there's, that they're not the center of the world, that there's something bigger. There's, there's more to what we're doing with this. Um, and there, there, there's something bigger and, and better to strive for in, in the work that we're doing for any teacher who is looking to, to try any of this what are what are some first steps in in both of those things that you have going on in your program what are what are just some real simple things that they could put into place this year right now sure so for philanthropic theater the easiest thing is to look at your season this is how we got started i didn't bring it into the actual classroom until my second year so my first year was look at your season and come up with some keywords or themes for each of the performances you're doing and then just go look at your community and see who matches those keywords. And better yet, let your students go look at the community to see who matches those keywords. Um, so, you know, I, I'm in the process of doing this right now. We're doing Cyrano de Bergerac this fall because my seniors have been telling me about it since they were freshmen. Um, <laughs> and so, I'm going, okay, what are the themes of the show and how do we relate this? This is his struggle with speaking his mind, are there, and, and like really confessing his feelings and all those things. But there's also this like 
speaking for someone else and advocacy, like he advocates for Christians. So like, how do, like, what are the key words that we can tie into here um, and the community and find something that works? I haven't, start, I haven't done the research because my students are doing it next week. Um, but those are the types of things that I'm going to look at with them. Okay, you've been telling me this sh- about this show for four years. You love it. So tell me, what are your key themes of the show and how do we tie them to the community? It's the easiest start for philanthropic theater. And it could be as simple as like book drives. And um, we did a toy drive. And even just doing something that may not be tied to a production get you out in the community. So we've done food drives and we've done toy drives that have nothing to do with the production that we're doing, but it's just an added, an added element of, we are gonna do a certain amount of service projects throughout the year. 90% of them are attached to our productions or our curriculum, but some of them are just, the food bank is running out of food because of COVID. We're gonna go help out. The uh, um, CASAs or Ch- Child Advocates of San Antonio need toys for the holiday season for foster children. We're just going to collect the toys because it's the right thing to do. Um, So baby step would be just do some sort of drive for the sake of doing a drive. And then the second step would be tying it to a theme um, of a production. And then when it comes to unified theater, I think for students with disabilities, one, I think it's okay to ask, like, one of the things that I do with my SST teachers or my, my, my special education teachers at the start of the year is I say, okay, let's go through the new students and you tell me what are their, what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, what are, what are things that we're focusing on, what are their goals for their IEP, because you as a theater teacher have an immense ability to work through goals Um, even if you don't think it, uh, because some of them are just about communicating and that's what we do. Some of them are about counting. So even if I say, go, you know, go count the props and put them away, like it's, you know, you can do things that work towards people's goals. So that's where I would start is looking through their IEP or looking through their, um, or talking with their, uh, case manager. And then beyond that, look at creative ways of using your technology. I've already mentioned Go button and iPads is really incredibly helpful for students who are nonverbal. Um, technical theater is an easy thing to do for students who don't want to be on stage, but may not be able to do lots of other things. So they might not be able to go use the saw in the workshop, but they can absolutely push the buttons in the booth. So it's about finding people where they're currently at and, and working towards that. That's something that the middle school teacher for our district, she said it was one of her greatest learnings my first year here was she's constantly pushing, not for perfection, but to like get to a certain level. And once we started meeting our students where they are and then just pushing them a little in every class, we saw the program grow because we weren't pushing for something that may have been unrealistic we were just meeting them where they are and then finding the one or two things that they should work on. And I think that is incredibly impactful for students with disabilities because you're focusing on what they can do, not what they can't. Um, And if you're gonna start a program like this, I highly encourage it. This year, we're actually offering our first unified one act festival. We're going to mimic the UIL, the Texas UIL one act festival. um, And we're gonna do it for students with disabilities and unified programs where they've got peer tutors helping them out to do a 20 minute one act play um, in May of this year. So I'm gonna be working over the next few months to solidify all the details so that when I go to Theater Fest um, and Texas Thespians Festival, I can speak to these things and invite other school districts to come to our campus and participate in this. And then afterwards, the Unified Club is throwing a big party in our, our new cafeteria. So there's so much that can be done just by focusing on what people can do instead of our constant focus on what needs to be improved, I suppose. It's a shift in mindset, but it's, once you get it, it's pretty, pretty easy to put in place. And you can compartmentalize. There are some students that I push harder than others, and some students were like, okay, on this day, we're going to meet you where you are because I'm reading the room. Um, and I can see that we're all sitting in a place where, like, this is it. 
This is what we've got. Great. So let's do what we can with what we have, and then we'll we'll choose a different day to push. I I know the work that you do has to feed your soul and has to feed who you are as a person and a teacher. What outside of your school building also does that? I know you have four kids, you got a husband, all the things at home to take care of. How do you how do you feed you outside of that building? Oh, that's a great question. I'm still working that out. Um, <laughs> it's ironic, but starting this master's program this summer, I think definitely it's, it works at helping me fix my goals and focus on my goals for school. But like, it's the first time I've done something since I started here where I'm feeding my cup of knowledge for myself. So in my grad program, I am the actor, I am the director, I am the dramaturg, I am the, I am the, the set designer, but not because I'm doing a show for school, but because I am those things and I'm going to work on bettering my skills for myself. So for me, that has been really impactful, but that's only during the summer. During the school year, um, I just love to sing. Um, so I mentioned I have a degree in, in voice performance and opera performance. And so I will just put on headphones and sing. Um, so, sometimes in my black box, which is where I am right now, despite the background. Um, sometimes in my black box, I will just sit here and belt as loud as I can with my ear earbuds in. Um, and then I just recently, last year, because I moved closer to town, so I was living on the outskirts of San Antonio, and now I'm actually living in the, the center of town, sort of, um, I purchased a bike and I like to go on bike rides. When I was a kid, I rode my bike everywhere. And so I'm trying to get that guy back. Um, so I now live a mile and a half away from school. So I'm making it a goal that at least once a week, I'm riding my bike to school. Um, and that's not only like getting my body moving, but it like helps my heart and all those things because I just liked it and I missed it. Yeah. I used to ride my bike everywhere. I would sometimes go on like 20 mile bike rides. So, um, that's just one of those things that I do. I can't, I'm not a gym person for sure. For sure. I've tried that. That does not feed my soul, but listening to music and riding my bike does swimming does. We have a pool in our backyard and sometimes I just float. Um, and, and that's really relaxing. I recommend, I highly recommend, especially in Texas in the summer. Um, just float. Well, you've shared, several of them already but i would love to know one of your favorite stories from your career so far that has either impacted you in poignant ways has been a funny moment a horror story just any of the any of your war stories that you want to share with us i think for me um my favorite stories come from interactions with other people and what i mean by that is like the, in my school district, it's a one high school, one middle school school district with two elementary schools. Um, so like we all work relatively close together and our students all feed into the schools, right? Because there isn't any other feeder school. Um, so I was talking earlier about a student who um, did not have a very good time in middle school. And then he has grown to be like a dance captain type student in my my current unified theater class. And um, in his first year, we did Law and Order Fairy Tales unit at the end of the school year. And he played the big bad wolf. And he was so into it. Um, like so much to the point that like, when it was costume days, it was almost impossible to get him out of the costume. He was just so into it. And when the middle school teachers came to see the performance, and this is someone they had been working with eight months ago, um, and they saw him up on stage and they saw him performing um, as the big bad wolf and getting in the character and howling and running and doing all these things. Um, she was in tears. And for me, I was like, ah, this is it. This is a this is an aha moment of like, look at what this person is capable of doing, um, and and just how impactful the work that we do in a theater classroom is for people even outside of it. So I have even uh, 
earlier this week had done a leadership academy with some other teachers on in my district and one of the special education teachers from the middle school made the same comment that he saw this student as frosty the snowman in santa interviews and he had to melt on stage and so then he goes through the process of melting on stage and falls on the floor and whatnot and he's a student who is very like i don't want to i don't want to do anything but sit up in my chair and so the fact that he like melted on stage and these uh the teachers from the middle school were like i don't know how you made that happen because he's it's almost like he's a different kid and i honestly want to one day do a study maybe if i ever get a an ed or something or an ed, a doctorate um i i want to do a study on like students who take the acting class for students with disabilities and those who do not who are in the same programs like how do they change emotionally uh, academically and all that stuff because i can see it through observation but it'll be so interesting to see data um, and then maybe we can push this out there like there's so much information about how music education is is the thing that really helps helps kids and i'm like but theater theater is immensely helpful and not just academically but like emotionally well i think and this is just this is just jimmy's opinion um <laughs> music uh music folks are far more organized and far more um unwilling to accept less than what they're asking for than we as theater people are. I think we compromise and we may be loud on stage and loud in our classrooms, but we're quiet elsewhere. And I think that needs to change. I agree hundred <laughs> percent. I'm, I'm just like, as a music person who is now a theater person, I think maybe I'm more outspoken because I, I have an extensive background of being a musician and having been trained by music academia, um, but I absolutely agree. I think that there needs to be more and louder advocacy yeah. for theater programs. I actually am talking about that with the Ag advocacy committee for Texas Thespians. Like, how do we get people speaking louder about what we do? Yeah, yeah. Well, keep me posted on that because I'd love to hear hear how those conversations go. My final two questions are the ones that I ask everyone, and that first one is, what is a resource that you have used or are using that is a must-have for theater teachers? When I am in a crunch, I generally go to like the BYU database of educational, um, educational lesson plans for theater. I found that to be incredibly helpful when I need to look at something the way someone else has structured it and then figure it out for myself because... I, I do view things in a different way, but like sometimes having the material and then being able to rearrange the puzzle uh, makes it easier to come up with a lesson plan. Um, educational theater consultants is another another uh, program that I'll go to um, to find curriculum resources that definitely help uh, when I'm in a, in a crunch. This year, I've taken upon myself to rewrite my acting scope and sequence without using those resources and like really figuring out what does it mean for me to teach these things? Um, because when I started, I was hired in July, we started in August and I had one month to figure out what I was teaching. And I've been kind of doing the same things. So this is my first year where I get to say, this is what I actually want to teach. And it coincides with the standards, but it um, it's me, it's authentic curriculum to this program and how I see this program growing. Um, those would be resources. Yeah, those two are pretty pretty up there on my list. They're bookmarked those are awesome. uh, as options. Those are awesome. Thank you so much. Well, Brian, my last question is the one that I ask everyone on the show, and it is, what are your parting words of wisdom for that new teacher entering the field or that veteran teacher just needing an encouraging word right now? All I have to say is that make sure you love what you do and you love yourself um, because – it's hard. Teaching is hard. I don't think I realized how hard it was going to be. And then it's been compounded with a pandemic yeah. and constant uncertainty. So just make sure that you're loving what you're doing. And if you don't adjust it, yeah. not adjust your love, adjust what you're doing. And I think that's something that if I wish I would have told myself that when we were going through COVID, that it would have been a lot easier of a year last year, because there were, I was doing a lot of things that I didn't particularly enjoy, but 
I thought that my students needed to have these things happening when in fact we could have done other things that probably would have been just as impactful. And so part of, part of being a teacher, especially in theater is sharing the love of what you do. Um, and one of our goals is to create like lifelong lovers of theater, right? So the, the best way to do that is to just continuing to do things you love uh, and making that really apparent. And also get out of your cave sometimes. Make yes. sure that people know you on your campus because it's hard to do it by yourself. That's true. That is so true. Well, Brian, it has been a joy talking with you and hearing all about your program and all the amazing things that you're doing. Um, again, I am equal parts exhausted and impressed, and I wish you all the best with this coming year and whatever it may bring. Um, I know your your students are extremely lucky to have someone who cares so much, not just about them, but the, the world outside of them. And I just thank you for all you're doing. Thank you for having me. I've actually really been looking forward to this. I've listened to your podcast all the time. So. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. Long time listener, first time caller. And that is a wrap for this episode of Fed Talks. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Tune in next week for the next one. We have so many great teachers coming up and so many that have already been with us. So if you are not already subscribed to the podcast, go on your favorite podcast provider, subscribe to us, rate us, leave us five stars, review us. More importantly, share the podcast with those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here on the show. Visit our website, www.fedtalks.com for the pages for all the teachers who have been on our show. Email me at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a future guest on the show or suggestions or topics that you'd like to have on the show, email me. I love interacting with you on there and I always follow up. Follow us on all of the social media that's out there. We are out there on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks. On Facebook, we have a Fed Talks page and Instagram Fed Talks Podcast. Once again, our website is www.fedtalks.com. Thank you, teachers, for all that you do. Thank you for listening. Continue to be the lights that you are and changing all those lives. I appreciate you. Take care.